have been walking through this book of Ecclesiastes. So grab your Bibles, okay? Get your devices, your phones, however you follow along with me. And uh, when I say walking, literally, I walked you through uh, chapter one last week as I preached from a treadmill. Man, I covered some miles last week. I have never worked so hard for you whenever I was preaching and uh, I went and ate pizza afterwards. I think I felt like I deserved that. But uh, you know, as we're looking in this book, one of the things that Solomon will say on a regular basis is, He'll, talk, he'll use this phrase, life under the sun. And what we've learned is that what he's talking about is this world that we are living in that is impacted by sin is often just senseless, it's broken, it's messed up, it, it can't be fixed by us. We try to fill it in so many different ways, you know, and, and again, there's just a lot of tragedy, there's a lot of things that happen, and you know, that was something that, uh, that happened in our community this week with, with a, uh, a terrible car wreck that wasn't far from, from our church building right here. And what I want to do is I want to just pause before we get into the word. I want to just pray for, for our community. I want to pray for, and I want to ask you to join me, okay? I want to ask those of you who are online to join us in prayer for just a moment as we pause and pray for those that were involved in this. Father, there, we just, our hearts are broken as we... So we live in this world that is under the sun, God, and we experience the things that we experience. Lord, our hearts just break for these families who have been impacted by this terrible crash, Lord, and the loss of these young lives. We pray for the, for the families. We pray for those who lost loved ones. We pray for those who are also in the other vehicle that were injured and who are still battling with injuries. Lord, we just pause as your people and we just lift them up. We lift this community up, Lord, that is, that is mourning and grieving. I pray for the students. I pray for the teachers and administrators and all those who are seeking to navigate through this difficult time. Heavenly Father, may you give them wisdom. May you give them your comfort. May you give them peace. And may those of us who are in Jesus Christ, Lord, we don't have all the answers to everything. Lord, we're, we're struggling and grieving just like everyone else. But Lord, may... May it be your hope that anchors us, and may we be light in a, in, in, in a community that is wrestling right now. We bring these things before you, and we thank you, Lord, that you have, you have overcome the world, is what your word says. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, as we continue in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it is no secret, right, that pleasure is everywhere to be found. In fact, when you came in, you should have been given a Hershey's kiss. Did everybody get one of those? Raise your hands. Did you get them? Okay. Did you not get one? If you didn't raise, if you didn't raise your hand, our ushers are going to help you out here in just a minute. Here's what I want you to do. How many of you have eaten it already? Anybody already eaten that? Okay. You're going to need another one, all right, because you got to hang on to that. But, but I don't want you to hold it in your hand because it, it will get messy here at the end. But we're all going to have an experience here together in the message here in just a little bit. And there's going to be a little bit of an illustration with that. So set it aside. Hang on to it just for a minute. We are in a culture where pleasure is everywhere to be found. We're on a search for what is going to kind of give us that, that maybe that next high or that fix so, I mean, we even might call it that, a fix, whatever that might be. And people will go to extremes to try to experience things that are pleasurable. In fact, I came across this article. In 1994, there were some undercover agents 
for the Arizona Department of Fish and Game who arrested some individuals who were, uh, they were involved in an illegal activity. You say, what was it? All right, you ready for this? It was toad licking. That's right. Toad licking. These individuals were licking this. All right, bring it up on the screen. Do we have that? There we go. All right. Now, I have no idea who the first person was who was wondering in looking at this animal, would that help me get high? Who thought of that at one point? But, but seriously, this is the Colorado River toad, and uh, it's found all throughout the, the Mexican border, kind of up through the Grand Canyon in these particular areas. And it, as a defense mechanism, it secretes out of the glands that it has this poison that actually kills its predators or paralyzes them. Now, there was, again, some individual at some point that wondered, what would this substance, how could this maybe do something for me? It actually, there's a hallucinogenic chemical that it produces, and people would get high by licking this toad. Some have found that they would take that substance, and they also could uh, dry it. Some would smoke it. And there are articles recently of, of many celebrities now who are starting to kind of get back into this and experience this. It's something that's kind of out there right now. Now, we look at this and we're like, who, and again, I keep coming back to, who even thought of that, okay? Who determined this might be a good idea, this might help me out? Who was the first? We don't know. But what we do know is that people will go to extremes for pleasure. We will do all kinds of things to try to find some, some pleasure within our lives, and I hope you don't go to those kinds of extremes, and you may think I would never do anything like that, but here's what you need to know, okay? Write this down. Pleasures of life are all around us, amen, right? And they are so easily accessible in our generation, in our age, where we live here in North America, and uh, again, maybe you won't go to those kinds of extremes, and I hope you won't, but, but pleasure is everywhere. Let me give you kind of a typical run day. This is kind of a typical day for me, and, and as I share some of these things, I don't want you to judge me now. Don't judge me, but I mean, you, you'll, probably, you'll probably think in some of the same ways. I got up really early this morning, as I do every Sunday morning, and I was in a nice air-conditioned room. Our bed is fantastic. It's the best one we've ever had. The mattress is just, I don't even want to get out. It's so good. And uh, we had the room really cool. We had one fan going above us, and then I have my own personal fan, so hope doesn't get too cold, all right? So I've got two fans. I have the air conditioner. I've got this pillow that is the best pillow I've ever had because it's even a cooling pillow. I don't know how it does that, but it's a cooling pillow. Memory foam fits around my fat head, and it is wonderful. I get up. I go to the shower. I take a hot shower because we have hot water. A lot of people in the world don't have that, but we do. And then I take my shower, I go and I go to the coffee pot where the coffee has been preset from the night before. It's already made because I don't wanna bother with that in the morning. So I made it the night before, it did its job. I went straight, got my coffee, put a little hazelnut in there, don't judge me, all right, I like it. And a little bit of creamer. It's some good stuff, and I was, uh, I was enjoying my coffee and enjoying that. Now, I will come and enjoy the pleasure of being with you people for three services here today. It's a pleasure as well. But when I leave, I'll probably go find something to eat somewhere. 
I will, uh, last week, went down to the pizza place. I'd worked really hard. I felt like I deserved some pizza. And they had everything that I could possibly pick to be on my pizza. And, and so we'll eat something good today. At some point, whenever I go home, I will most likely sit in a, in a recliner that we have that is, a, uh, that is a recliner that you don't even have to do this. There's a button on it. By the way, I'll be driving in a vehicle that's climate controlled on both sides. If Hope and I would have had this when we first got married, we would have saved a lot of fights. I'm just telling you that because it was tough, right? But we've got climate control and we have older vehicles. I was with a friend the other day that had seats in their car that, that he turned it on for me and it started massaging my back and my rear end. I was like, what in the world is this? I would never get out of that vehicle if I had that, okay? So there's all these kind of pleasures. I probably at some point might take a little bit of a nap because I'll be kind of tired. I'll be exhausted. I, 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 it'll be cool in our house. Probably at some point I'll turn the television on. I'll use a remote and be able to turn it on for my flat screen that, uh, that I'll watch part of the game. I might pull out uh, my iPhone and check some messages. I might even pull out my iPad and pull one game up here and then on the other side, read news because I've got so many screens that I can use, right? All right, I know some of you are judging me right now. Stop it, okay? But, but that's probably, at some point, I'll probably get hungry again. I'll probably go to the refrigerator where we have things that are cooled perfectly where I can go in, get something to eat. We'll probably tonight, because the game will be on, we're going to have hot wings tonight. I'm telling you, I'm calling it right now. We will make them in the air fryer, which is a game changer for me, all right, because I can actually make them somewhat good. The point is, I'll keep going, end up in that same dark room with that same nice pillow, and it will kind of start all over again. And here's the thing. It sounds so self-indulgent, but if you're being real with me, it's kind of an average day, wouldn't you agree? All of these things that we kind of have access to, right, all the time, so accessible to us in this age in which we live. And, and what is the point? Is the point that it's wrong to experience anything good? Is it wrong to experience some pleasure uh, within our life, right? Is, 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 it's so easily accessible. Here is the thing. How do we handle that? How do we handle it as Christians? Well, Solomon also had great access to every kind of pleasure available to a man, right? And he went down these trails, pursuing, pushing to the edges of every boundary that he possibly could, could because he was trying to fulfill himself in some kind of way. He said, I, I, I was searching for meaning. I was searching for this in my life. So he was all in to see if he could satisfy his soul if he could bring some kind of satisfaction to his life. It's interesting to think that with all the pleasures that we do have here in America, that, uh, that, that I mean, we know this, that, that we kind of have a little bit of a happiness problem. In fact, we're, we're not the most happy nation in the world. There are some that are third world countries that on what they have as a happiness index that are actually ahead of us. In, in fact, in uh, uh, Brett 
Easter, or Greg Easterbrook's book called The Progress Paradox, he writes this. It's, it's actually entitled, subtitled, How Life Gets Better, Why People Feel Worse. His assertion is that in North America, while we have almost everything that we ever could want at, the, at, at our fingertips, right? Most of us can in some way. He said, we have an abundance of everything, and this is the way he puts it, except for happiness, We have an abundance of all of these things, and yet we also live in a generation that is called the age of anxiety. That's what it's being called, where depression rates are skyrocketing all over the place, where people in their relationships, there's brokenness still there, even with all of the things. People will even run down the paths of addiction or excess just to find a little bit of a little bit of satisfaction or temporary relief or some kind of escape. Solomon would say this, there is nothing new under the sun. Now, obviously, Solomon didn't have a remote control or, you know, for his television. He didn't have all the... He's not talking about technological advances. What he is talking about is there is nothing new under the sun when it comes to the human condition. That we are always seeking to satisfy ourselves many times apart from God, apart from Christ, under the sun. And what he's going to say is in this pursuit, it's like this life on a treadmill. We always are, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of pursuit, but you don't end up getting anywhere. You stay right in the same place. You're right in the same place, right? And it doesn't fix us. So again, if we have access to all of these things and these pleasures around us, how are we supposed to handle that here as Christians? Are we supposed to uh, completely deny ourselves of any kind of enjoyment in life? Is that what God wants from us? Are we supposed to live what would be called a life of asceticism, which is kind of just complete denial, a philosophy of life where you, you can't enjoy anything? Are we supposed to go through life feeling condemned, or guilty, or shame if we ever experience any kind of pleasure? Do you think that's what God wants? Are we supposed to just kind of all become like monks and live maybe a monastic type of life where we go kind of hide in the cave and stay away from any and all kinds of good things and pleasurable things? Well, I think God has given us the life of Solomon for us to be able to look at some of the pursuits that he went after and then to kind of assess ourselves. Kind of see if we are also maybe pursuing some of the things, maybe not to the same extremes that he did, but I guarantee you that this resonates with people today because many of us are pursuing the same angles and hoping that we will have a satisfied soul. And that may be you here today. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1 as we start moving through this book. He says this, I said in my heart, remember heart is the mind, will, and the emotion. It is the center of the person. It's not just this organ that's pumping blood. It was the center of his being. All of my heart, I went after these things. And here's what he said. Come now, he said. I will test you with pleasure. And he's going to say, enjoy yourself, but behold this also. And remember, we used a word last week or an illustration these last two weeks. It's the word vanity. In the Hebrew, it's the word havel. And do you remember what it means? It's this. It's here, and then what? It's gone. I can't really grab 
onto it. It is real. I feel it for a moment, but it's like this vapor. It's, it's here, but gone. And here's what he's saying. If you'll go back to what he says, I tried pleasure in every way, but it was, he said, it was also smoke, vanity. So write this down. Here's what we know. Solomon sought satisfaction through his pursuits of pleasure. And some of us may be in the same place where we're thinking that we're finally going to be satisfied if we stumble across one of these particular areas and we will also experiment and we will go down these roads. So Solomon, as he always does, gives kind of his thesis statement up front and then what he's going to do is he's going to begin to flesh that out. And that's what he does with chapter 2. He's going to give his thesis, okay, which he says, I tried it all and it also was smoke. Now he's going to begin to explain this to us. Now what What Solomon was pursuing is a philosophy of life that is called hedonism, okay? Hedonism, and now we may think, and sometimes we can get a little judgy and be like, well, there's a lot of hedonistic uh, people out there that they live this particular way, and Bart, I don't really, I'm I'm not really, uh, you know, a hedonist in any kind of way, And, and I think that's good to maybe think this way. Don't get judgy of others, though, because here is the reality. Here's what hedonism literally means. Here's how it's defined. Hedonism is the ethical theory that pleasure is the highest good and proper aim of human life. Now, now here's what I want you to think about. A lot of us will say, well, I don't agree with that, and that's not the way that I, I, I don't believe in that, but here is my point, okay? But many of us, this is how we live, And so often the way we live doesn't quite match up with the things that we say. And and, and so the mentality is enjoy yourself at all costs. As long as you're not hurting anybody else around you, then what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Do whatever, you could say it like this, do whatever it takes to be happy. That is kind of the philosophy of life that a lot of people will live by, and this is what what Solomon was going after. We could say that hedonism, and I think you'd agree with me, is kind of a pillar of our society today. It's It's kind of what we're established on. Pursue happiness at all cost. It doesn't matter, you know. And so over and over again in this In this passage, I'm going to show you, okay, we're going to read through it together. I want you to know this. He is going to mention, I, me, myself, in this one passage, he's going to mention himself 40 times. All right, so you see it's kind of an egocentric way of living. It's all about me. This is what, it's about my self-indulgence. It's about what can make me happy. This was the quest. So now he's going to start getting into some of these these, these pursuits, and he's going to speak specifically. Let's start investigating some of these. Go with me on this journey. He said in verse 2, I said of laughter, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, and here's what he's going to say, what use is it? And again, I'm reading from the ESV today if you're following along. So here's, let's just start breaking these down. Solomon sought satisfaction. First of all, he sought it, and he says clearly, through laughter and through comedy. Now, wait a minute. Is Solomon saying that we've got to go through life and we've got to be somber and sour and have no sense of humor? Do you think that's what God wants from us? I think a lot of Christians do kind of look like that. And I don't think that's attractive, really. 
I mean, I wouldn't want to pursue that if I were not a believer, and, and I were, that's not what I would want to see. Here is what he's getting at. It's this idea of kind of this shallow kind of living where I can't even be honest about my emotions, and there will be many of us, have you ever met a person that they never can get serious about anything, and they always will turn it into some kind of joke, and, and it's, it's, it's this life of frivolity. Now it's, now, it's not that you can't have a good sense of humor. I love a good sense of humor. I love, I love to try to be funny. I love to make people laugh. But this particular person will even use this as a coping mechanism and a deflection of any potential for getting real with anybody and dealing with emotions in any kind of honest way. And we keep people at arm's distance. It's a shallow way of living. It's a coping of just this possibility of pain. And Solomon calls this approach to life, what does he say? It's madness. It's maddening to me. Why? Here is why it's madness. Because it denies reality. You and I, we know that there are a lot of things that are in this world under the sun that just aren't funny. Right? We're in a community right now that is mourning right now. That is grieving. There are things that are happening that there, there are times where you got to get serious. This, this talk that I have with you, it can't be all about entertainment. There are times where we got to get serious about what is the meaning of life? Where am I going to end up? You know, you got to deal with it. And, and Solomon at one point even writes in the book of Proverbs, he writes this. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, look at this, say it with me, church. What does it say? The grief remains. It doesn't, it, it might mask it for a little bit, and this is what he's getting at. And I couldn't help but think of, of one of the comedic geniuses of our generation who's no longer with us. I couldn't help but think of Robin Williams. And I thought about just how funny, if you ever saw him in any kind of interview, he would take over and just, it was, it was hilarious to watch. And he was the, one of the funniest persons and just so, just genius in a lot of the, the things that he would do and the imitations and all of this. And yet behind all of the comedy, you and I both know, as we know how the story went, there was a lot of pain in his life. You know, it's interesting to hear how many comedians who end up kind of sharing some of their story, that, that some of the funniest people that you know are some of those that inside are hurting in some of the deepest ways. And, and that's a heartbreaking thing to think about this. So Solomon says, I went down this kind of frivolous kind of way of living where, where there was nothing serious. And then, he, and then he said, but that wasn't it. So I kept going. Verse 3, I searched in my heart, he says in verse 3, how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So Solomon was seeking satisfaction. Here's your next thing. This is the route he was going through external or outside substances that could alter his mind and his body and his way of thinking. Now, when I read this, here's what I, I want to tell you. I, I don't think that Solomon was, was out there trying to get, well, as we would say today, wasted. Because he says, as I was doing this, I was trying, and, and, and the substance he mentions here is alcohol, um, is I'm going to go down this trail and take this as far as I can go. And my purpose is maybe not so much to get wasted. My purpose is to cheer my body. 
It's to cheer my body. It's to alter my mind a little. It's to escape some of the realities. And then he says, with my heart still guiding me with wisdom on how to lay hold of, and what does he say? Folly. How do I get a hold of folly? Now, what is folly? Well, folly is where we live our lives with no kind of reverence for God, no boundaries within our life. It's just do whatever we want to do with no thought of God whatsoever. He said, I was trying to find, I was trying to find an escape. I was trying to find some kind of way, and the way that he mentions here is alcohol. But I think this, I think that, that it's not so much alcohol that, that is the point that he is making here. It is this chemical stimulant that he is looking for to alter and experience some kind of escape. But I think this passage goes way beyond alcohol. What do we know? Solomon couldn't have known this, okay, but in spite of his wisdom. But we know that outside substances like that, our bodies acclimate, don't they? Our minds acclimate. And you start off and, and you might get a little bit of a high, a little bit at first with very little. But then what do we know? As our bodies acclimate, it takes a little bit more, doesn't it? And a little bit more. And i got to have a little bit more to achieve that place of escape or whatever it is. And again, this isn't just about alcohol. It's, it, it, it ends up having this diminishing effect where I need a little bit more. So I experiment with this or with that. I'm looking for something that will provide the escape. And here's what I want you to write down. Because this is a big thing for us to understand today. In these experiments, our experiments can easily become our addictions. And this is so true about, about many of us. The thing that we are hoping for to bring us some relief, and it will maybe a little bit temporarily, can end up becoming something that further complicates our life. And when we're looking for something to bring escape, ends up actually enslaving us. And we end up being in bondage to something that we would seek to utilize, and now we're out of control. And this is what happens for all of us. This isn't just about alcohol. This could be about food. That also when we eat a certain chemical is triggered in our brain, right? That makes us feel good in the moment. When we overindulge, it could be about any kind of external substance. Our experiments can easily become our addictions. And rather than bringing benefit to our life, they can complicate our lives even further. Solomon would warn, he would warn in Proverbs chapter 20, he writes in this book of wisdom, look at this, wine produces mockers. He produces mockers or scoffers, and we talked about scoffers several weeks ago. Alcohol leads to brawls is what he is observing, okay, in his wisdom that, that and doesn't that happen? People, families get kind of, can get messed up. And, and then he goes on, and now look, those who are led astray by drink cannot be wise. There's, a, there's another verse that I don't have time to read today, a passage in Proverbs 23 that Solomon also will address this as he's trying to coach his son. My son went off to the Navy this year, and uh, there's, there's not as much accountability. He is going to be exposed, and he has been to all kinds of things. And I said, Luke, you need to read Proverbs chapter 23, right? Because here is the thing. Read that out, and it even says, who has bruises? Who has this? Who's gotten beaten up? Who can't even remember what happened the day before? I mean, it's all this stuff that deals with this, and it's this person who has 
ended up having this get turned around upon them. Now again, this is someone who alcohol has gotten its claws into or some other kind of substance or some other, maybe it's prescription drugs. It could be overindulging in food, right? There's all kinds of ways that, let's be real, okay, what he's talking about, we try to self-medicate. And we will all, we all have something. This is not about judging anybody. This isn't an anti-alcohol message. That's not, what I'm trying to get at is we all have brokenness. Amen? We all have something we will go to to maybe kind of help us a little bit with some of the stress or the pain. What Solomon is saying is, I've gone down this road. I tried it, man, and here is what it is. I feel it for just a minute or a second, but then I'm dealing with the complications of it afterward. And I haven't struggled personally with alcohol, but I have been very real with our church that I have a very real battle with food, (laughs) okay? And, and, And you gotta eat. You know, you don't have to drink alcohol. You've got to eat. So at some point, I've got to ask God to really help me in this process, explore some of the reasons for, am I, am I, am I eating to live or am I living to eat? You know what I mean? I've got, to, I've got to know how to balance some of that. Well, that's one of my struggles. What's yours? But, but we, seek, we seek to self-medicate in one way or another. I want you to know this, that when we started this church, We didn't start this church to judge people who have problems because what we know is that we all have problems. I want to say this very clearly. This is a church for the broken. And you're looking at the chief broken person. It's a church for the broken. And if you're struggling with something today, we're not condemning you today. We're not judging you. If you're online and you're battling with something today, it's not an accident that you tuned in today, God's trying to get your attention, not because he wants to bring shame upon you for whatever that particular issue is, but I think this is because he wants to bring some freedom in your life because he loves you. But you know what it takes before freedom happens? Getting honest and real about where you're at and then beginning to open up with some others one of the things that I'm very excited about is that we have uh, brought on our staff who, a, a man who is already a part of this community and has already ministered to hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, throughout his lifetime. And his name is Jack. Jack's sitting in here. Now raise your hand, Jack. Okay, raise your hand. Hi, Jack. All right. And Jack, Jack is on our staff now, and he's a Christian counselor, and we're so excited about this. But one of his passions that we love about him is helping people experience freedom. Freedom from some of these things. So I'm putting his info up there because I think that somebody today, whether you're online or whether you're in here, the Lord is speaking to you about this. And God wants to bring some freedom in your life. And I think God even wants to redeem your story to where you're helping other people get free because that's what he does. Amen? So we'll move forward, but I'm excited about Jack being on our staff with this. He says this, Solomon says, I went after it and it smoked. Look at what he says next. I'm going to move on to the next experiment. Here's what he said. I made great works, verse 4. I built houses. I planted vineyards. Now look at what he says, and I want you all to say it with me out loud, okay? Come on, let's all participate. I made these things. What does he say? For, say it with me, for myself. I made it all For myself, 
I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I'm betting he wasn't the one who was doing the digging. (laughs) He's the king, all right? Someone else was working on his behalf. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. If you know anything about that part of the world, it's wilderness. It's arid. It's desert. What is he doing? He's creating an oasis in the wilderness. He's creating paradise. I bought, this is what he did, all right? Not endorsing this, we're saying what he did, it's in there. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in all of Jerusalem. In fact, there's a part of the Bible that speaks about how many animals would have to, they certainly were not vegan, let me just say that, okay? That how many animals he would have to slaughter every day just to feed all of the people who were employed by him and who were in his court and who were in his family. Solomon sought satisfaction, write this down, through great projects and through possessions. He said, man, I'm gonna go after it. Notice he said, now it's almost like he's a designer, he's an architect, he's a builder, and, and he was great at it. I made, I built, I bought, I possessed. Do you see that? Over and over and over again. You should know that he had built for himself the most beautiful palace that the world at that time had ever known. It was beautiful. It was incredible. Where he says, I made parks. Now, when we hear parks, you might think around here, I'm thinking Willow Creek Park. He, bu- he built himself a Willow Creek. That's an all right park, but that's not what he's talking about. The word literally means, I built paradise. I built paradise around me. These, these, this kind of park that was like a paradise. What he's in essence, and there are a lot of scholars that believe this, what he was trying to do was trying to recreate the Garden of Eden. This is what he was seeking to do. He was toiling for it. He was trying to create it. And he said, and he said I'm working as hard as I can to try to bring an oasis in life under the sun. Remember life under the sun, what it is? The broken world in which we all live that's marred by sin. Solomon was saying, I was the one who had the most power, the money, the resources, the labor. I was the one who could get it done. And I tried. Now, listen I want to be really clear about this. Solomon is not saying, and nor am I saying this today, that it's wrong to have nice things. You've heard me say that before. He's not saying it's wrong to build a house or to have a nice house or to to enjoy a nice vehicle. or to. He's not saying that it's wrong to do a remodel project and make things nicer. That is not what he is saying, and that is not what I'm saying. In fact, I've got a little bit of a remodel that's going on. Okay, And he's not saying there's anything wrong with this. What he is saying is these things, these projects, these, these things that I possessed, all these things that I have, they still never fulfilled me. You know one of the things I've noticed about the projects that we have done around our house is I get going on one and I start and you always realize this. If you ever, some of you know what I'm talking about. Man, if we would just do this, it would make that even better. Are you with me, right? We can't get it. We got to keep going. And, and, and there's always more to do. And, the, and this is what he said. It was always about 
next? What's next? And, and, and I kept chasing it over and over. And what I found was, there it is again, Hevel. It's all vanity. Man, every time I do that, that feels good coming back on me. But then it's gone. But then it's gone. So it's a good thing to think, kind of assess yourself. As I'm going through these processes, I'm having to assess myself as I'm preaching to myself. Solomon's paradise, by the way, that he had created, do you know this? He created this incredible temple. He created this incredible palace. Jerusalem was incredibly just wealthy. And then in 586 BC, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped it all out. And it was smoke gone. And this is what he's saying is that it's here and then it's gone. Look at verse 8. I also gathered for myself, he says, I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. So next he's seeking satisfaction, not just through a little bit of money, but through what we would call excessive wealth. He became a hoarder of money. He became a collector of money. This is what he was collecting. Goods, kings would bring tribute to him. And he had, it says in, in one passage, that silver was so abundant that it was like, it was like stone. And there are a lot of stones in that part of the world. That it was everywhere. And this wasn't about money to spend. This was about money to hoard. This was about, here's what it was, status. And it was about identity. The more I have, the more people will think about me. And they will admire me. This was about status. It was about identity. And what he said was, it's also smoke. It's gone. We'll discover next week. We'll discover that his son, his son lost it all. Everything that he had toiled for. And he was afraid that was going to happen, and it did. Here's the next thing he says. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines. The delight of the sons of men. This is where he sought his satisfaction. It was through entertainment, and it was through sensuality. We live in an age of entertainment. We have more at our fingertips than we have ever had on demand all the time. He said, I got singers. Now we have playlists that we store on our phones and on our devices, right? And we can pick whatever we want. They didn't have that. So Solomon stored people. People were his playlist. He had it on demand. Now, what's interesting is next he says, and he lumps this together, and I won't spend a lot of time here because that's not what the message is about, but next he says as part of his entertainment, he lumps it in with entertainment, and I had many concubines, many concubines. It's, it's incredible to think about this. That's a gross, exagger or, or a gross understatement, but he lumps entertainment. He lumps sensuality. If you read about Solomon's downfall, some of you may not know this, Solomon had 700 wives, 700 wives, process that, men, okay, ladies, and 300 concubines. And you thought your holidays and where you were going to go was complicated. This means this, he had a thousand mother-in-laws as well, all right, think about that a little bit and my mother-in-law is most likely watching in Texarkana, and I love you. I want you to know that, okay? All right? But the reality is, he had, now, again, I won't spend much time here, 
He had everything that a man could think that he would want when it comes to entertainment and sensuality. And here's the bottom line, because this was not in God's design, right? This is not how God designed for marriage to be. And, and, and this was so broken, he went against God's principles. Here is basically what was happening here, the way that he is, he is putting this. He used these women for his own sensuality. He objectified people. Are you hearing that? Okay, all right. And again, this isn't a message about this specifically, but I know that there are people, many, and statistics show, even with the context of our church, that there are people who are battling with lust and objectification of others and, and, and kind of this, you know, we, we'll just kind of objectify a person, we'll, we'll satisfy ourselves, and then we'll set that aside as if they are not created in the image of God. And this is kind of what Solomon is getting at here. Now you'd be like, you're probably like, Bart, we don't have concubines here today. No, but I think that, uh, that we certainly can objectify and use people. And this is what he's getting at. He was hoping to find this. So look at verse 9. So I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Think about who was before him. David. I surpassed him. All my wisdom remained with me. And whatever, and I think this so perfectly describes many of us, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Do you, say, do you hear what he said? This was my reward. There's a little bit of a sense of entitlement. I'm owed this. I'm owed it because life under the sun is tough and hard. I deserve this is what he's getting at. But here's what he's going to say, and he's going to kind of wrap this up. He's going to say, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And now he is going to use his three favorite things in describing what these pursuits get us. He's going to say, and it was vanity. And it was chasing after the wind. I was on a treadmill last week, which is exhausting. And you're going and going, and you don't end up going anywhere. And the other thing he says, what does he say? He says, there was nothing to be gained. Remember that gained is all that I've put into it. When you compare it and I come to the sum total, I still don't have anything. It's just that. I went after it with everything that I had. That is the end result. Here is what you can write down. Where are we heading in this message? Here is what we're trying to get. Even as believers, we need to understand this today. Here is what he's saying is that pleasure pursued for its own sake still cannot satisfy what is going on within my soul. What the world has to offer is still not enough. It's not enough. It will give us a temporal fix. It will help us a bit. But even after we are done with experiencing that pleasure, we still know that we have something that is lacking within us. So then, as we begin to wrap this up and we get to move towards the candy, okay, how then are we to live in a society where pleasure is everywhere around us? Once again, are you supposed to become like a monk? Are you supposed to live a life of asceticism? Are we as Christians, are we able to actually enjoy some of the good things in life with, listen to me, without feeling shame? Without feeling guilt? Is that even possible? He said, I tried all of this. It didn't work. Now, one of the things he's going to, we're going to get to this next week. As he said, one of the conclusions I came to is that a lot of these things are gifts from God. 
And so we should enjoy life. And we'll get to that next week. You need to come for that, okay? But that's not the end of it. And what Jesus would say to us is everything is pointing to Jesus. Jesus would take it a bit further. It's more than just these good gifts here and right now. What we need to start thinking and developing is what we would call even a theology of pleasure. And here is the thing. We have a tendency to associate pleasurable things with sinful things. And you got to hear this, okay? You're going to like this. Pleasure was not designed by God to be sinful, You ought to say amen to that, okay? It wasn't designed by God to be sinful. God created us with these senses to experience and enjoy some of the good things that are in this life. In fact, whenever whenever God created the world before sin ever came into the world, do you know what it was called? Paradise. It was called paradise. It was this beautiful garden, and they were experiencing all of this good pleasure. Everything God created, do you remember this? He said after he created it, it is what? Good. It's good. These different things are good. And then what happened, right? What happened was Adam and Eve, even though God gave them boundaries, they went outside of the boundaries, and they rebelled against God. And God had told them, if you rebel against me, then what is going to happen is you're going to be cursed And the world is going to be cursed, and there's going to be brokenness, and that is what we are experiencing in life under the sun. But I want you to hear this. Pleasure by God, redeemed by God, is to be enjoyed with with God's blessing, and here's the thing, with God's presence. Us inviting God's presence into the things that are pleasurable. I'm not talking about things that are immoral or things that are are illegal. I'm not talking about that. Remember, if you go outside those boundaries, when you go outside the boundaries, there are consequences. And God said there would be. We're in this fallen creation right now, and that is the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. And so that is one of the reasons we associate pleasure with sin. And and, and God is anti-pleasure, and that is one of the biggest lies from the devil. It is not true. God is not anti-pleasure. Now, here is something to think about. When Solomon, as we're kind of wrapping this up, Solomon was doing these things, what did he say? It was for myself. And there was, it's about me. It, it, he was at the center of all of this. And instead of, an, instead of a theocentric or a God-centered way of living, even in the midst of pleasure, it was an egocentric way, which, again, it's all about my own satisfaction and selfish intent, what we would know and learn about Solomon and about ourselves is we all have a selfishness problem. Amen? We all have a sin problem. And because of our sin natures that we have now, we are and can be very selfish. The book of Ecclesiastes is to point us in this place of desperation to lead us because of our sin problem and our, our being in relationship with God, that brokenness there, somebody had to come to fix all of what we could not fix. Are, are, you, are you following where I'm going? Where this is going? Somebody had to come and redeem all of this. Somebody had to come and restore us back into relationship and into the presence of God again. Somebody had to fix and is fixing and is going to fix what is wrong and broken in all of this world. Somebody had to do that and we couldn't do it. Church, who was it? Absolutely. Jesus came to 
restore, to redeem, to bring these things back in. Think about how Jesus lived his life. Jesus went to parties, didn't he? <laughs> you know, by the way, he got accused by religious people of being a glutton and a drunkard, and he was neither of those. But you know what he was doing? He was showing us how to enjoy some of the good things in our lives without being sinful, because he never sinned. And, and, and Jesus, although he was a man of sorrows, he also, I believe, had a lot of laughter. <laughs> and he enjoyed a lot of good things. And he came to restore and to redeem and to bring us, those who are believers, back into relationship with God so that we also can begin to experience and enjoy some of the good things that God has blessed us with in even redeeming the pleasures of life. By the way, it's not just about right now because in Revelation chapter 21, he said, behold, I make all things new. And, and there, there's a new earth and a new heaven that he is going to create for us. And it's not just we're going to be floating around on clouds. There's going to be a physical element to this because he's created us in his image to experience and enjoy the presence and the pleasures of life. So here is the thing. As a believer, you need to know something, okay? If you're a believer in Jesus today, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives in you today. And here's how, ple how pleasure is supposed to be experienced. In God's, in God's presence and with his blessing. So take your candy. Everybody get your candy, all right? Take it, get it. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Ushers are going to bring some to you, all right? Raise your hand so they can see you. And I want you to take this. Now, I love chocolate. I don't have it in my hand here, all right, because I'm not going to eat it while I'm preaching. But here's the thing. You can go ahead and start unwrapping that. You can go ahead and eat that. And as you are eating this, here is how to redeem pleasure that God has created us for. As believers, our band's going to come out. They're going to lead us in a song here in just a minute. But I want you to hear this, okay? You take that, you eat that. Instead of mindlessly eating this, this is what you are to do with this as you think about this, all right? Christian, take it. Now, if you don't like chocolate, first of all, who are you, okay? If you don't, then don't eat it and give it to Randy. He said he would eat a handful for me, okay? Give it to somebody. But I want you to think of it as symbolic in this sense. It's just a nice little gift of God. And even chocolate, right? It's good. It tastes good. And here's what you do with this. It's pleasurable. As you're eating that, you know what's happening? The senses in your brain that God created you with are going off. They're saying, this is good. This tastes good. You know, God created you with taste, the ability to see, the ability to touch. All of those things are his creation. And I want you to do this. When you're thinking about the good things in your life, if you don't like chocolate, think about some of the other pleasures, okay? Here's what we are to do. We see the redemption in this because of what Jesus did on the cross, bringing us back into relationship with him, knowing he will redeem all things. As you're, as you're enjoying pleasure, invite God's presence into the pleasure right now. So that's one of the ways that also kind of keeps us from sin, right? God, I'm inviting you into this pleasure that you've created. Thank you. That's the second part of it. You ready? Thank you for these good things. Don't live in guilt and shame. Thank you, God. Thank you. See, there's freedom in that, isn't there? There's freedom. I'm not 
not telling you to go do something immoral or illegal or any of those things. God will speak to you about that. But in these pleasures, to enjoy these things, right, and enjoy and understand this, here is the next part of it and the last part. Because Jesus is our living hope right now, he also has done something. When you experience pleasure, it is just a foretaste of paradise that is to come. You got that right? It should remind you of what he has already done in redeeming us and what, if you are a believer, is out ahead of you. The pleasures of eternity in the presence of Christ. You never knew a piece of chocolate could trigger that. So 